Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. The idea of having way more than we ever dreamed must be a tantalizing one because we see our fellow citizens pursuing it in all different kinds of ways. The first envisionment that I have is being at Quick Trip. Now, if you're outside our part of the country or outside of the United States watching this, we have a convenience store here in our area called Quick Trip. We didn't have these in Texas before I moved here in 1985, but I, I quickly fell in love with Quick Trip because it's quick. And the people who are there behind the counter, they really are good at making your time there as fast as possible. So I love going to Quick Trip unless I'm behind people buying lottery tickets because <laughs> it slows everything down. Have you ever noticed that when people go in there to buy lottery tickets, they haven't thought it through before they get there? Because they're thinking it through while they're there. And then, you know, while the clerk is like pulling, you know, their lottery tickets off the dispenser, they're, they're, I, I give me two more of, and I don't know, I've never played the lottery. I, I've often thought about doing it just to, you know, give it as an illustration, but I'm terrified that I would win. And then what would happen? Wouldn't that be a headline? <laughs> Local pastor hits it big in lottery. But it, <laughs> then I'd be embarrassed to win. Uh, so I, I go there and I watch these people. My heart kind of goes out to them because, you know, they, well, give me two more of this or give me two more of that. And then have you ever noticed anybody like, you know, determined that they've won something? And what do they do with their winnings? You know, if they win $5 or $10, they buy more lottery tickets, right? So they trade the money that they do get for more paper. So I, I, I think about that. But clearly there's a lot of hope and desperation in the purchasing of lottery tickets. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it may be fun for some people and they may, they may set a limit or whatever. But I, I just watch that and I see people have a dream of what it would be like to have so much more. Well, while I travel, is it just me or do I see more casinos uh, dotting the landscape? And then the casinos that I see, you know, I'll drive by six months later and they're building more and more buildings. I have friends who go to Vegas and they come back and they say, Mark, you would not believe just the magnificent buildings there that those casinos, you know, that they have. And I always want to tell them, look, they don't build those buildings because people won money. They build them because people lost money. I wonder if people ever think that through, you know. And of course, there's no... There, there's no risk in this, I guess, but then there's the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. Seems like I'm always getting messages from them that I could become a multi-multi-millionaire if I hit it big with publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. Well, the problem that we have with that is that the truth is painful. The odds are not in our favor. In fact, if you play the lottery, I just want you to know that your odds for hitting it big with the mega millions is one in 303 million. One more time. That's one in 303 million with an M. Your chances of becoming a movie star 
are 300 times better than that. So I don't know if you just, for if you're young, you may just want to take drama in school because your chances of becoming a movie star are way better than your chances of hitting the mega millions. The Powerball jackpot, one in 292 million. The Publishers Clearinghouse Super Prize, one in 1.7 billion. Slot machines, hey, there's a reason why they call those one-armed bandits. Your chances of winning the slots, depending upon how little or how much you're going for, are one in 5,000 to one in 34 million. You know, the reason why people, I think, succumb to the advertising for like the lottery or casinos is we read the stories in the media about the person who hits it big. And it's like, what are they going to do? And oh, they don't ever have to go back to work again. And they're going to have all this money and they can buy anything they want to buy. Well, maybe I'll get another one of those lottery tickets. But what would it be like if whatever news feed you choose, whether it's electronic, digital, or paper, what would it be like if you had to read all 292 million stories of people who didn't win before you read the story of the person who hit it big? My guess is it would have a lot to do with how Americans gamble. Because the odds of making it big in the ways of this world, especially by gambling, are not in our favor. But suppose you took that concept of having more than you ever dreamed, and instead of dealing with odds, you were dealing with promises. What if it's not one in 303 million, but one in one, because God has made you a promise of having more than you ever imagined. Well, it isn't just a possibility, it's a reality, and that's why we're doing this series called Blessed for the next four weeks. I wanna know, and I believe you wanna know, if you're a God follower, maybe even if you're not a God follower, you might be interested in, in hearing about this. I want us to find out what are the ground rules of blessing, and there's a reason why I use that term, ground rules. Because I think when we bring the subject of blessing up, there are a couple of polar extremes that some of us are familiar with in the church that have caused us to sort of not even think about this idea of blessing. We might call one polar extreme prosperity theology. And there is this idea that if you do certain things, God just wants to give you whatever you want. Now that's, a, that's painting with a broad brush. But especially when televangelists were becoming more prolific on television, there were some televangelists that really abused this. Not all, but some. And they kind of communicated the message that God loved them so much that if you contributed to their ministry, whatever you wanted, you could have. One of Mercedes Benz, no problem. You want to get well if you're sick, no problem. You know, all you have to do is contribute to them and then the blessing would start flowing out. Now, I think all of us look at that kind of thing in its extremity and we know there is no reality to that. But what I see on the other end is the other polar opposite that perhaps is a knee-jerk reaction to the first, and that is the idea that, look, you're very fortunate that God even saved you, so just sit over there in the corner and be willing to take whatever comes to you. Well, indeed, we are blessed that God has saved us, those of us who've given our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, but neither one of those extremes is what the Bible teaches us. Open your Bible. Read the stories of the people, read the promises of God, and what you will discover is that God does bless certain people, and he puts giftednesses in their life that are beyond what would be normally expected. In fact, in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible says our God is able to do exceedingly more than we can possibly ask or think. 
Well, that's pretty amazing because I can think pretty big. And yet the Bible says God is able to do more than we ask or even we think about asking. So when I use the term ground wolves, I, I want to know what kind of people does God bless? What do those people do? How do they think? How do they view the world? How do they view life? Who are those people whom God blesses? Well, come back for the next four weeks and we'll talk about that. But today, I want to just give you a definition of blessing and then we're going to kind of get into the beginning of the blessed life. First of all, blessing is favor. It is God putting his favor upon our lives. Now, there are many verses in scripture that deal with favor, but I want to give you three that speak to me. And there's, each one of these verses has a phrase or an expression that kind of defines blessing in my life. In Malachi chapter 3, God is talking to those who are willing to tithe. That's been a part of my life since my childhood, of bringing a tenth of my income and even more than a tenth of my income to God. God says to those who tithe, I will open the, listen to this, windows of heaven, and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Pour out a blessing. Now, what does God mean by the windows of heaven? Well, if you think about your personal economy, what happens in your family, your checkbook, your, your bank account, your personal economy is either based on the winds of economic change of this world, or it's based on the windows of heaven. Because see, if your blessing comes from the windows of heaven, you don't have to read Fortune, you don't have to read Forbes, you don't have to read Wall Street Journal, those are fine publications, but I'm saying you don't have to read those to know what your future is. Because when God opens the windows of heaven, well, hey, there's no recession in heaven. There no, there's no depression in heaven. So blessing is when God opens the windows of heaven. I love Isaiah 119. If you give ear to my word and do it, the good things of the land will be yours. Hey, the blessings of God are so much more than money. When I think about God's blessings in my life, I think about my marriage and my kids and my grandkids and what I get to do and the friends that I have and the answers to prayer that God has brought into my life. God's blessings are able to go way beyond money. It's the good things. Now, let me give you a third scripture. Now, I've loved this since I was a little kid. In Psalm chapter one, verse one, the Bible says, God blesses those people who refuse evil advice, won't follow sinners, or join in sneering at God. Instead, the law of the Lord, that's the Bible, the law of the Lord makes them happy. They're like trees growing beside a stream. Those people succeed in everything they do. Wow, that's blessing. Windows of heaven open, the good things of life, and success in the things that matter in life. Blessing is favor. That's life at its absolute best. So let me take that statement and add on one more. Blessing is favor and favor is access. Here's the deal. You and I own nothing in this world. In heaven, we will actually own things. We don't own anything in this world. The Bible says you brought nothing into this world and it's certain you're gonna carry nothing out. I got a funeral this afternoon at three o'clock. I've conducted over a thousand funerals. I've been part of a lot of funeral processions. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It's just, that's the way this life is. It's sort of like, and back in the, I'm talking to all of you 
who were older, you know, when we used to play board games that had actual game pieces and they weren't electronic. Anybody play Monopoly back in the old days where you had like Monopoly money and all this? You ever like make a killing playing Monopoly with your friends or your family and then they all go to bed and leave you to clean up the game? I mean, you got all this Monopoly money stacked up. You got to put it all back in the box. Well, that's what happens when we get rich in this world. It eventually goes back in the box. And that's true for an atheist or for a Christ follower, the things of this world. But here is what God is saying, is listen, if we will do what he can bless, his blessing based on his favor gives us access to the good things of this world. There's a sweet family at New Spring and last year they, they opened up their beach home to us for Mary Alice and me to experience vacations, a magnificent home. We would never be able to afford that, but we had access to it for our vacation. And that is what God does when he blesses us in this world. It's true this world is not our home. But out of his favor, he gives us access to the good things of life. Mary Alice is the love of my life. We started dating when we were in high school. We got married my senior year in college. We share a life together. Anything that happens to me, I want to talk to her about it. I didn't feel like the sermon went as well as I'd like for it to go at 9.30. So what did I do? I was talking to Mary Alice about that. She's the joy of my life. I don't own Mary Alice. She's God's. She's God's daughter. But out of his favor for me, God has given me access to her life all these years. I have wonderful sons. Jonathan's preaching in Connecticut. While I was sitting back in my office in between services, I was just watching streaming of him preaching in Connecticut. You think I don't love that? Jonathan doesn't belong to me. He belongs to God's. God just has given me access to his life for a little while. So it is with Jared and Stephen and my daughters-in-law and my grandkids. I have the greatest job in the world. I get to pastor New Spring Church, but I don't own New Spring Church. I just get access to it for a little while. That, ladies and gentlemen, is favor. Let me read a verse to you that says it far better than I can. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, the Bible says, Have faith in God who is rich and blesses us. Listen to this with everything we need to enjoy life. How many of us grew up in a religion that sort of communicated, maybe tacitly, but communicated that really you weren't supposed to enjoy life? I mean, that's, that's kind of how you can tell how spiritual you are by how, how you know, downcast you are. And the more downcast, the more spiritual. No, God wants us to enjoy life. Let me read that one more time. Have faith in God who is rich and blesses us with everything we need to enjoy life. So we're all going to talk about that for four weeks. The ground rules of blessing. And my prayer is that this will be a season of turnaround in our lives. So where do we need to start? If we were going to learn the ground rules of blessing, if we were going to go in the front door, what is the first thing that we need to learn? I think we have to ask ourselves a question, and that question goes like this. Can God trust me with blessing? Here is the deal. If God blesses you, you're going to be empowered. You're going to get knowledge that you wouldn't have had otherwise. You're going to have skill you wouldn't have had otherwise. You're going to meet people in your life who are going to open the doors for you to go places you wouldn't have gone otherwise. You're going to get opportunities that you wouldn't have had otherwise. You're going to get finances that you would not have had otherwise. So with God's blessing comes empowerment. How many of you know that power in the hands of someone without character is a dangerous thing? 
So what God has to do is he has to deal with this question, can he trust us with his blessing? I want today us to look at one verse in the Bible from the book of Psalms. This particular verse is about my favorite character in the Old Testament. And about six months ago, I came across this verse. It really got my attention because I thought I had preached every verse in the Bible about this character. His name is Joseph. He's one of the patriarchs. You can read his story in the book of Genesis chapters 37, uh, chapters 37 through 50. I've done two series here at New Spring on the life of Joseph. 1998, I did a series called Living a Functional Life in a Dysfunctional World. Preached about 20, 25 weeks on Joseph. Came back in 2010, preached a series called Thrive. I'm always preaching on this guy. I preached all through the book of Genesis. I preached through the book of Acts, where Stephen in the Bible preaches about Joseph in Acts 7 and 8. I thought I had covered every verse about this guy until the Lord showed me this verse that we're going to look at today from the book of Psalms. Now, before I share that verse with you, I need to give you a little backstory on Joseph's life. Joseph is the grandson of Abraham. He is the uh, great-grandson of Abraham. He is the son of Jacob, who is one of the patriarchs. Jacob had 12 sons, and Joseph is the next to the youngest, and he was his daddy's favorite. Now, when Joseph was a kid, God gave him dreams. All of us have dreams, but Joseph had a couple of dreams that were extraordinary, and he was well aware of the fact that these dreams had a lot to do with a blessed destiny. Now, I should also tell you that because he was daddy's favorite, he was hated by 10 of his other brothers. And so after these dreams, Joseph goes through 13 years of his life that is a series of disasters. It's one disaster after another. But then the most peculiar thing happens. In less than 24 hours, Joseph goes from being a prisoner wearing an orange jumpsuit with a number across his chest. In less than 24 hours, he goes from being a prisoner in prison on a trumped-up rape charge to being the most powerful person in the world. Now, that is, that is a challenging thing to process. I mean, think about that. Many of you have gone through unexpected promotions. You just showed up at work one day, you got caught into the boss's office and she said, hey, I just want to tell you there's a position opened up and you're going to like jump two levels and I'm going to put you there. That's pretty sweet. But none of us has been through this kind of promotion where you go from being a prisoner in prison on a rape charge to the most powerful person in the world in one morning. As much as I love the story of Joseph, that's a challenge to process. I mean, that's blessing at its extreme. One could make the argument that no human being has ever been blessed more than Joseph because there have been a lot of human beings that were powerful, but nobody has basically ruled the world except this guy. How do you explain going from a prisoner pushing a broom to the most powerful person in the world in one morning? Well, I came across this verse, and it just explains in one sentence. Psalm 105, verse 19. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested his character. Wow, that's huge. Could I just read that one more time? Until the time came to fulfill his dreams. Evidently, there was a day on God's calendar that said, 
Joseph's dreams come true. Until the day came for Joseph's dreams to come true, God tested his character. Now, what's character? Character's what you really are. You know, the old saying is, reputation is what people think you are. Character's what God and your wife know you really are. I, I don't know if that's the best definition of character. Probably the best definition of character is character is what you are when you're 500 miles away from home, have plenty of money and nobody's looking. Character is what you really are. So that's what God tested. God didn't test Joseph's skills or his, his reputation. God tested his character. Now, for those of us in the next few moments who are going to watch the difficult things that Joseph went through, it could be that someone would walk away from this and say, well, that's rather cruel of God to Test Joseph in this fashion, but there's something that we must understand. The testings of God are very different from the testings of our world. What do you mean by the testings of our world? Well, you ever try to get into Ivy League school? Then you're going to have to go through a lot of scrutiny and testing. Have you ever tried to get a job that a lot of people were seeking after? Then you know what it's like to go through rigid testing. But the testing of our world ordinarily is there to rule out the disqualified. God's testing is very different because God's testing has an equipping factor in it. It is that when God puts us through tests, he is not ruling out the disqualified. He is qualifying those whom he has called to that place of blessing. I don't know if that's really clear yet or not, but I think it'll become clear in the next part of this message. God is not like sitting up in heaven saying, well, I think I want this guy Joseph to do the job, but I don't know if he has it in him. God clearly knows what he knows, but what he's going to do, he's going to put, through Joseph, put Joseph through a series of tests so that not only his character will shine through, but that God can develop his character along the way. I love this message so much because I have lived this. You have never met a more blessed human being in your life than the guy who is talking to you. I'm not rich, I need next week's paycheck, but God has just blessed me in so many ways. But as I look at the early part of my life and the early part of my ministry, I see the testings of God in my life that were there to prove my character to see if I could handle the blessing God was going to give me. But more than that, God was equipping me along the way. And I think many of you will see this in your own story as well. So God tested Joseph. What can we draw from that? Well, what I'm going to do for the next few moments, next few moments is I'm going to show you the four tests that God employed in Joseph's life because my guess is he will employ those same tests with all of us. And with our identifying them, it will, A, help us understand our seasons of testing, and B, it will help us know that blessing is on the other side. So here we go. We're going to, take, we're going to look at four stages of Joseph's life and four tests. Here is the first question. Can I grind it out? Back in the 60s, there was a Broadway musical that became a movie, and I think they even reprised it in the 80s and did another movie. But the, the, the title of the movie originally, or the Broadway play, was How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And it was a story of this pretty much worthless kid who had a dream to go to the top of the company without education and without experience. And so he starts off in the mailroom, and by kissing up to the right people and telling the right lies, he just begins to be promoted all the way to the top of the company. 
And I guess that's a dream for a lot of lazy people, how to succeed in business without really trying. But for all of you who are successful in life and God has blessed you to a place of prominence where now you have influence and you have authority and you have, you have all the things that come with success, you know what I'm about to tell you is true. And if you're young, please just take the word of God on this. The question is, can we grind it out? Can we go through those difficult times of doing the jobs that no one wants to do? See, I really think before God will take us to the big jobs, we're going to have jobs that are little. And sometimes we will feel that those jobs are too little for us, but there's a reason why God takes us through those difficult little things, doing jobs that nobody else wants to do. Never forget this. The person who is too big to do the little things will always be too little to do the big things. Can I say that one more time? A person who is too big to do the little things will always be too little to do the big things. And Joseph is going to have to learn that lesson. As I said a few moments ago, Joseph's brothers hated him, at least his 10 older brothers. He had these dreams, and in his dreams, he dreamed that his brothers ultimately were going to bow down to him. And as you can imagine, they didn't like him already, and they sure didn't like him now. And then his dad did something that made matters worse. He kind of made Joseph the policeman for the rest of the family. They were all shepherds. And the older brothers were watching sheep a long way away from home. And daddy sends Joseph down to check on them to make sure those boys are behaving. And when they see Joseph coming, they said, hey, let's finish this kid off. We'll, we'll kill him and then we'll see what happens to his dreams. Well, they intended to kill him, but the oldest brother Reuben talked them into just putting him in a pit and keeping them there because Reuben knows he's accountable to his dad, so he wants to send Joseph home after the brothers cool off a little bit. But while Reuben's off doing something, some slave traders come by and the other brothers say, hey, there's no reason for us to kill him. There's no money in that. Let's sell him. And they sell their brother to slave traders. Some Ishmaelite slave traders bought Joseph and they take him down to Egypt. So imagine, here is daddy's fair-haired boy. Here is the kid with the coat of many colors. But now he's, in, he's got his wrist in ropes and he's being dragged down to Egypt where he doesn't know the language, doesn't know the customs, doesn't know anybody. All they know is he's a slave. And he gets sold to the most powerful military man in the country. He might be in our equivalent of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs uh, staff or maybe the Secretary of Defense. The guy's name was Potiphar. Potiphar is one of the richest guys in the world. He, 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 basically, he basically takes care of the military of the Pharaoh of Egypt, who is the most powerful man in the world. And Joseph is a slave in his house. Well, you can imagine, he's the lowest slave. He's doing the jobs nobody else wants to do. He's cleaning the latrine. He's sweeping. He's cleaning. He's scrubbing. And, you know, whatever the job is nobody wants to do, give it to, give it to the Hebrew kid. And he's made fun of, and he's never, he's never respected. But Joseph now has got to grind it out. He's got to earn it, not in the sense that he's earning God's blessings. You know what I mean by that. He's got to earn it. He's got to show up every day and do the stuff that nobody else wants to do. He has to grind it out. Listen, anybody here that is going to have big things in life, there is going to be a season of your life where you got to grind it out. And it won't be fun. And you'll have jobs. Well, you didn't, you didn't wake up one day and decide you want to do that job. I mean, that job doesn't come with a sense of mission. It comes with a mop and a broom. 
But Joseph begins to grind it out. And you know what? It isn't long before it's like, wow, that kid always brings his A game, whether he's cleaning a toilet or if he's running on an errand. And so they start promoting him and he gets promoted. Now he's still a slave, but he's promoted to higher places. And ultimately he winds up the business manager for Potiphar. In fact, he is the one signing off on everything that happens in the house. But he has to go through this season of grinding it out. Hey, I've been a pastor since I was 42. My first career job, full-time job as pastor was associate pastor of a little church on the border of the country in a subdivision. While I preached in those days, you know what else I did? I cleaned toilets and I sterilized toys in the baby nursery. Why is it important that we grind it out? Because if you ever are elevated to a place of prominence, you will need to know what life is like for the other people who work with you. No, there is no worse boss in the world than someone who was just handed the job, who was never made to grind it out because there's something about grinding it out that makes you one with the people who work with you, no matter what they do. I'm about to make a statement right now that is definitely the most important statement of today and maybe one of the most, if not the most important statements of the whole series. Blessed people are blessed to bless people. If anyone's sitting out here thinking, wow, this living the blessed life sounds great to me, think about what I could do for myself, then I don't know that you'll ever be blessed like this. You have to have the vision of understanding that blessed people are blessed to bless people. I have an open hand. I am willing to give what I have. God puts more into my hand so that not only I can enjoy life, but so that I can minister to other people. Blessed people are blessed to bless people. And one of the reasons why God takes people who are gonna be greatly blessed through that season of grinding out is God wants them to be blessing others who are in the process of grinding it out. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is about a prophet, and this verse says, I sat where they sat, or I sat where they sat. This is too much information. Um, When I first came here, I think my first Christmas staff luncheon at at our church, there were four of us. We had it in a booth at a steak restaurant. (laughs) Now our Christmas luncheons for our staff are huge. We have to have them in one of our auditoriums. We have over 100 people who work for us. And uh, one of my favorite sayings, especially to people who are coming on the onboarding process to a ministry position, is I love to tell them there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is I've done your job. And the bad news is I've done your job. (laughs) But what it does is it gives me a, a sense of compassion and empathy for those who are serving in roles. I don't serve in anymore, but I served in it one one time. When I first came to our church in 1985. When I was being interviewed, I, I didn't ask how much money I was going to make. Didn't know that till after I got here. But I said, I have a question I want to ask you. Is there health coverage? Is there health insurance? I had Mary Alice, of course, and Jonathan was three and Jared was one. And so it's really important with small kids. Is there health insurance? Oh, yes. I was assured we have a tremendous health insurance policy. So I took that at face value. And, I, and I'm not blaming anyone. They, they, they weren't used to having, it was a small church then, they weren't used to having families on staff, but when I got here, I found out that the only health insurance policy was catastrophic in nature. There was no health coverage that was going to take care of the needs of a young family. 
And then the next year, Jonathan had some health issues, and he had to go through expensive tests. It took us almost 20 years to pay off what those first, that first couple of years cost us. So I was determined that whenever I became lead pastor, which happened not long after that, but I was determined that when I became lead pastor, I was going to have the very best health insurance policy I could have for our staff. And even to this day, with the staff that we have, when we bring in you know, our team that shops policies and comes in and ed- educates us as to what our policy is, that team will always come in and say, we want you guys to know you have the finest health care policy we know about. In fact, oftentimes they'll say, your health insurance is better than our health insurance. Why? Because I learned how important that was when I had to grind it out. You know, when I actually came to the place where I was able to thank God for allowing me to go through that so I could bless others who came along after me. Blessed people are blessed to bless people. If you just want blessing for your own sake, I don't think you'll ever get it. James says this in the book of James. He said, you don't have because you don't ask. And he said, when you ask, you don't get because you want to consume it on yourselves. But if I understand that God intends for me to be a conduit and he blesses me so that I can bless others and that in the process of his blessing of me and blessing of others, my life can be better, then that's what the blessed life is. So the first question that God wants to ask is, Can we grind it out? Blessed people are blessed to bless people. Now, question number two, can I resist temptation? Let's just follow the life of Joseph. Last time we saw him, he's the most powerful person in the house of Potiphar. He's writing all the checks. He's deciding who can use the swimming pool. Should tell you this, though, a problem began to develop. Potiphar's an older guy. He's married to arm candy. And this woman starts getting a case for Joseph. And when Joseph comes into the house, she's trying to seduce Joseph. At first, it's just kind of overt and a little playful stuff. But then it gets to be more serious. And there's no question about it. She finally grabs Joseph one day and says, come have sex with me. Now, in in that particular culture, it wasn't thought of as that big a thing. But Joseph wasn't from that culture. And Joseph said, I can't do it. And she said, why not? He says, because I'm a Hebrew. And, and it, would, it would be against God. And beyond that, your husband trusts me. And how can I betray that trust? Every day she would like come after Joseph and Joseph said no. One day she grabbed a hold of Joseph's coat and Joseph didn't know what else to do. He just ran out of his coat and left her holding it. And it made her so mad that when her husband came home, she reversed the story. And instead of telling her husband that she tried to seduce Joseph, she said Joseph tried to seduce her. And beyond that, he said, she said Joseph tried to rape her. And see, I've got his coat. Well, Potiphar didn't need a judge and jury. He just had Joseph thrown in jail. And so now Joseph's dealing with that. Can he resist temptation? What I'm about to say is especially important to you whom God wants to bless greatly. I really believe there are people in this auditorium, North Auditorium, watching online, watching on television, there are some of you that God wants to give enormous blessing to. Satan doesn't know that, but he's had thousands of years of watching God's history with people. A lot of times he guesses. I mean, he sees people that God has gifted with certain enablements. And so Satan will start the bidding process. What will it take 
for you to give up your reservation on God's plane of success? What would, it, what would Satan have to do to buy you out of your seat on God's airplane? I don't see this as much anymore, you know, with air service here in the United States, but I remember back in the day, especially when I was flying a lot of places, speaking around the country, you know, I'd, I'd be speaking that night in Los Angeles or Cincinnati, and I'd be flying that morning, and they would overbook the plane. Why do they do that? They'd overbook the plane. I need, you know, the, the, the gate attendant would be, I need five people now who will be willing to take a later flight today or take a later flight tomorrow, and we'll give you a $50 gift certificate. Nobody moves for $50. Who's going to give up their seat for $50? Well, what do they do? Gate attendant, we have six people now who need to move to the next flight and for a $100 gift certificate. Well, nobody will move. They get up to about 250, a couple people move. They, of course, they're willing to give up their seat, but now they still need about four seats. Wow, it goes up. Back in the old days, I've seen it go up to where it would be like Travel vouchers for a family of four. And I'm sitting there thinking, that would be great. We could all go to Cancun next summer. (laughs) But the problem is I'm supposed to preach that night. That's my destiny. You know what? I can't give up my seat on the plane. It doesn't matter if they take that up to $50,000. I can't sell my seat on that plane because God has got something for me to do. And nothing in the world is worth me giving up my reservation on God's plane. Now that's how your life is. Here's the thing. There are men and women here, young people here in this room that God has got great things planned and Satan will come along with his $50 gift certificate. But it isn't long after that, he'll come up with a lot more. I mean, it may be a relationship that's not healthy. It may be an affair. It may be, it may be cutting a corner spiritually and you doing something that violates your conscience and Satan will say, if you will just give up your seat, your reservation on God's plane of success, well, hey, I'll give you this trinket. Do you understand that that's what Joseph was going through? Man, God had great things for Joseph. He was going to rule the world. But along comes Potiphar's wife. Hey, let's take the halos off for just a minute. Joseph is a single unmarried guy. Potiphar's wife is a beautiful woman. Sex in the afternoon, that's an attractive thing. But hey, Joseph's not going to give up his seat on God's plane of destiny. And you and I are going to be tested the same way. Can we resist temptation? Well, where do we see Joseph last? He's being taken off to jail for doing the right thing. I mean, it's one thing if you're taken off to jail and you did something wrong, you smoked something you shouldn't smoke, you know, took something you shouldn't take. I mean, hurt somebody. And I mean, if if you go to jail for that, that's one thing. But look at Joseph. All he did was the right thing. And now he's being taken off to jail and they take off his nice business suit that he got working for Potiphar. They put on him an orange jumpsuit with a number and they say to him, you're behind bars now and you're going to be here the rest of your life. Now clean the toilets and clean there. And he's right back where he was. Injustice. How do you deal with it when life is not fair? How do you deal with injustice? See, I think test number three, it just following the life of Joseph, the Bible says until the day came to fulfill his dreams, God tested his character. The question is, can I deal with injustice and not get bitter? Bitterness is a bad thing. 
You ever meet anyone who became bitter? And when you heard their story, it's like, yeah, I sort of understand. You know, if I'd gone through that, you know, if, if a man had done that to me or if, if my kids had done that to me or if, 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 if I just was told I didn't have a job anymore after years of faithful work, you know, you're like, you hear people's stories and it's like, yes, I, I, I agree that you have had injustice perpetrated upon you. But at the same time, do you recognize that the bitterness that they sometimes live in is not healthy? Why is bitterness a bad thing? Well, for one thing, it turns life into a referendum on me. But I think the worst part about it is bitterness makes us feel like we have a right to be self-focused victims. And a person who is a perpetual victim just is not a candidate for big things. Let me give you, for all of you who go through this test of injustice, and I'm guessing all of us are going to go through it sometime, maybe not to the level of Joseph, maybe so. Maybe you're in a jail today, not in a literal jail, but maybe you're in a sort of emotional prison because of what somebody has done to you. Could I just give you something to say that will get you through this moment? Just say in your heart, God has great things for me. I don't have time to be bitter. I can afford to be I can afford to be happy because God is on the way to bless me. If you will do that, I promise you, it will get you through some really difficult times. Can I deal with injustice and not get bitter? And number four, here's the final test. Can I wait for God's perfect timing? Where did we see Joseph last? He's in jail. He's going to be there for a long time, maybe for the rest of his life. I mean, think about this. You know, there are other prisoners making snide comments about what Joseph, what they think he did. And all that time, Joseph is innocent. But one morning, something interesting happens. A couple of guys are thrown into the cell with Joseph. Powerful men. Some of the most powerful men in the country. They are the cupbearer and the baker for Pharaoh. Now, that may not sound like a big job, but potentates in those days were always worried about being poisoned. And so you didn't get to that position unless you were really, really high up in the government. It's like cabinet position today. So the butler and the baker are thrown into the prison with Joseph. Pharaoh, I guess, had determined that there was some attempt on his life, and he didn't know who was guilty, so he just put them both in a bag, threw them in jail. And while they're there, they have dreams. And these are dreams that they sort of think have something to do with their future. And so Joseph said, well, I've been given the ability to interpret dreams. Tell me your dream. I'll tell you what it means. So the baker does, and then the butler does, and Joseph said, well, Mr. Baker, I've got really bad news for you. Your dream means in three days you're going to be dead. Mr. Butler, I've got good news for you. Your dream means that at the end of three days, you're going to be restored to your position like nothing happened. Well, three days later, after it happens just like that, the butler's taken off his jumpsuit, putting back on his business suit to go back to the palace. Joseph says, hey, when you get back to the palace, will you tell the Pharaoh about me? I'm an innocent guy down here on a trumped up charge. Would you please tell him about me? And the butler's like, oh yeah, man, as soon as I get back, that's the first thing on my agenda. I'm going to tell the Pharaoh about you. He is lying out of both sides of his mouth because the last thing he's going to do is freelance when he gets back to the palace. He just barely got his head. The last thing he's going to do is go back and tell Pharaoh, oh, there's an innocent man back in the prison. They all say they're innocent down there. Two years go by. I think this is one of the most difficult things that Joseph had to go through. Every day, Joseph is looking at the door of the prison, waiting for somebody to come in and at least interview him. 
nothing happens. Because the butler just goes back and summarily forgets about Joseph. Two years of waiting. (laughs) But then one morning, the Pharaoh had a dream. And he had a weird dream. There were seven fat cows out by the Nile eating. That's not all that weird. But then there were seven scrawny, thin, gaunt cows that come out of the water and eat the fat cows. Now, that would make me wake up. (laughs) Cows are not carnivorous. Pharaoh's like, I don't know what that's about. He brings in all his intelligentsia and says, tell me what my dream means. And they don't know. And about that time, the butler says, oh, I could have had a V8. <laughs> if you're under 40, that's an old commercial. <laughs> There's a guy down there in the jail. And he knows how to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh says, get him out here. So Joseph, like he washes and shaves and puts on his, you know, his nicer clothes he's got, I guess, coming out of the prison. He goes in there and stands before the Pharaoh and he says, sir, you're right. Your dream has a lot to do with your destiny. He said, those uh, seven fat cows, those are seven good years, good economic years, high productive years. You're gonna, we're just, we're just gonna have production off the charts, but they're gonna be followed by seven very lean economic years. And if we don't, hold back a lot of resources from those seven productive years, then everybody's going to starve in the world in the seven lean years. And here's the deal. You need a whiz-bang, uber-sharp director to oversee this entire process. And Pharaoh's like, well, you're the only guy in the room who seems to know anything about this. I'm just going to promote you. And I guess here's the way this is going to work. Your only boss is going to be me, and you're over the entire rest of the country. And I would argue, since Pharaoh was on Joseph's agenda, Joseph is the most powerful man in the world. I mean, in just a matter of minutes, he goes from being a prisoner in an orange jumpsuit to running the world. He can have any home he wants to have. He can have any car he wants to have. Well, okay, anachronism. He can have any chariot he wants to have. I mean, life is going to be amazing the rest of his life. Why did he have to wait? Because he'd passed all the other tests. He had to wait until it was God's perfect timing. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, God tested Joseph's character. If you're living in the fulfilled dream stage, then this makes all the sense in the world to you because you can take those four questions and you can write your biography, your autobiography. If you're going through the testing time, could I just let you know that God has a calendar in heaven and somewhere in the future, he's got a day set aside for your dreams to come true. That day is on his calendar. But until that day comes... God tests, he refines, he shapes, he builds our character so that when that day comes, we will know what it's like to grind it out. We will know what it's like to say no to temptation. We will know what it's like to not get bitter when injustice comes. And we will know what it's like to be weight. And we will know that we have been blessed to bless others. God bless you. Thanks for being here. We'll pick this up next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. 
For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.